0: I have been encouraged and uh, really love what we've done this morning and just uh, hearing from you guys as far as ministry and, and serving and the Lord's Supper, you know, uh, it, it's, I hope it's not lost on us that just a couple of weeks ago we were able to observe one of the other ordinances that the Lord left in baptism with Lux and Rusty. And now we get to partake of the Lord's Supper together. This is what we do as a church and uh, this this is an encouraging part of, of being a part of the body at Ramsey Creek. I want to start off today uh, by just kind of saying how thankful I am for the last seven months. We've had guys that have stepped in and filled the pulpit and preached, I mean, almost without skipping a beat. And guys like um, Mike Caps and Jason Hamilton and John David and Darren Janiel and others. And I I, I, I appreciate you guys. They didn't know I was going to do this. But I want you guys to know how much I appreciate you for preparing and delivering those sermons and for serving our church in that way. Uh, it's, it's not lost on us. And so thank you guys. Appreciate you for sure. Um, I'm also... Yeah. Thank you. I'm also really thankful for all of you who have stepped into roles, positions, uh, things that you hadn't done before that you maybe didn't quite feel really ready for. And you just said, yeah, there's a need. And you stepped up. I mean, there were people helping with Awana. Uh, there were people who took the lead in serving various meals, like with family night and stuff, um, volunteering to teach, su- teach Sunday school, taking leadership in the music, uh, volunteering to lead youth activities, uh, angels' wings help. The list just goes on and on. And honestly, my heart is just filled with joy at the thought of you guys loving one another and serving one another in this way, because I know you do it for the Lord but it has a huge impact on our church body. And, and I'm, I'm thankful, I'm grateful for you. Uh, we're in a church that's, we're in transition. And some people might think that that's a bad thing. They might look around and uh, think that things are maybe spinning out of control, or, or I don't know what thoughts may be happening. But I, I want you guys to know that my view is a little bit different than that. In fact, it's a lot different than that. We see God starting new things in scripture all the time and not that he wants to start over here but God has so much to do in our church God has so much to do through you guys in our community and I, I am excited about where we go from here I think this is a time for evaluation assessment but also putting our feet to the ground and getting to work I, I also think that you know, we have never deviated from preaching God's word, but I think now as we talk about reassessing things, is a time to just kind of say, okay, God, what do you have for Ramsey Creek, where we realign ourselves under the authority of the Lord and his word. And this is a good time to do this. And so uh, I would encourage you in this. Now I don't believe is a time to sit back and say, okay, let's just see how this goes. I think now is a time to engage, to get in, to put your feet on the ground and let's get to work, arm in arm together, reaching our community, our families with the gospel, that this, that Ramsey Creek would be a a lighthouse with the message of Christ to the community. That's the prayer for our church. That's my vision. And I think our vision, the elders vision for the church. And I'm going to rip off this analogy from David Platt, but I, I feel like, we're in a steamboat, right? Christ is the captain up on top steering. I'm just a guy down in the boiler room who got given a different assignment. Right? I, I'm, I'm the pastor, but I'm just a, another guy rubbing shoulders with you. Jesus steers the ship, right? We do the work. Jesus steers the ship. And that's our plan. That's the plan as we go from here today, to follow Christ Together, so so I would say, get ready, get ready. Last week, Mike reminded us, rightly so, from the text that God is a patient God, that God is good and He has incredible, long-lasting patience. If you want to flip to Matthew chapter twenty-two, that's where we are. Um, last week, Mike was talking about a parable of Jesus and he talked about the wedding feast and there was a king involved. And the king sent out um, an invitation to people um, to, to invite them into a wedding party he was having for his son. Right, it was, a, it was a wedding feast, and it sounded like a good party. I mean, it says that he killed uh, his oxen and his fatted calves, like plural. I mean, we know what it's like to have a get-together as a Baptist church. Like You get a lot of food. This sounded like a great party, didn't it? I mean multiple animals killed for this? I mean unless you 're a vegetarian, this sounded like a great place to be, right? because there's dead animals being eaten. But um, it was a wedding celebration, and it sounded like a good party, and so the king sent out invitations, but people didn 't quite respond to the way that we would expect. and I don 't know about you guys, but as Mike was preaching and I was reading through the text again, I was surprised. I was struck by the responses that were given to this. And we'll just go through this quickly because of time, but um, I felt like they were confusing. The first time the king sent it out, the people just ignored it. They just went about their way. They had no desire to be a part of what was happening there. Um, The second time that it went out, you know, they, they didn't really pay attention and then Some of the messengers were treated unfairly, abused, even killed, and the king passes judgment on those people and their towns, and he judges their actions, and rightly so. And the third time the call went out, it went out to everybody. It says good and bad came, and what happened? The wedding hall was filled. It was full. People that maybe weren't expected at the beginning by some of the others there but whom the king certainly wanted to be there. And it's interesting, when the guests all arrived, there was the one guy. Remember, the king was looking around, and he saw one guy who wasn't in the wedding clothes, and he cast him out. It seems confusing, unless you remember what Mike pointed out. When you went to a wedding feast, you were often given wedding clothes, a garment, so you didn't have to wear your dirty, stinky work. Blows to a celebration. You were given a wedding garment and this man had no garment on. And so he was thrown out. And the text that we're going to look at really briefly today deals with this same kind of thing, the rejection of Jesus, the rejection of Jesus. And I, I want us to notice something before we move into this text. I want us to notice something about this, about the wedding guest. This is a picture of of nominal Christianity. Of a person who identifies as a Christian and yet their lives show little to no fruit of that confession. This wedding guest behaved the same way that a lot of people do today. Don't they? They profess a relationship with Christ, but their lives show no evidence of saving faith. And this is, this is hard to hear um, because we know people who fall into this category and I pray that the spirit would convict us. If this is you today, that he would convict you of this because a lot of people know things about Christianity, right? They can use the Christian lingo. They know how to make it sound okay. But then when difficult things arise or there's a challenge or things don't go their way, you see the real fruit of their heart start to pop up. And that's what it was like with this uh, unwanted guest at the wedding feast. Unfortunately, when people oftentimes are confronted with this kind of a thing in their lives, they don't respond as we would like. They respond as most of us do. They kind of dig their heels in. Well, Wait a second. What are you saying about me? I'm not a Christian. What do you mean? How can you judge me on that? And they dig their heels in and they show at their core that they're really not followers of Christ. And this shouldn't cause us to respond in anger or resentment or pushing them away. No, this should cause us to respond in, in greater love, in greater pursuit of them. Not to say, hey, what you're doing is fine, you know, just go go about, do whatever you want, that's fine. Not in that way, but to pursue them with real, the real love of Christ that says, I love you enough to point these things out so that we can find a solution in the gospel together. That's what it should cause us to do. But these people, when confronted with this inconsistent lifestyle, they, they don't respond that way often. Because they have no real joy in God. They don't have any real joy in their Savior. They don't have any real joy in reading Scripture or being with His people. And these, these people, like the wedding guest, they reject the King until He finally rejects them. They reject the King until He finally rejects them. So, friends, I, I would encourage you, when you hear the call, when you hear the invitation of the Father to salvation to the wedding feast, that party. Don't dig your heels in, in rebellion. Don't think you can get to heaven on your own without a relationship with Christ because the Bible doesn't teach those things. And in the end, that is a rejection, not just of the king, but of salvation. Instead, I would plead with you to respond in humility, not in pride, not in arrogance, but in humility. Humility repenting of your sins, being reconciled to the King so you can enjoy that wedding feast forever. That's our hope as a church body, that we would gather around that invitation to enjoy the Lord forever. Now, throughout Jesus' ministry, we see a similar picture of God's patience of his faithfulness. And Jesus shows that here in our story today with the Pharisees. But look back at Matthew 21, verse 45, for just a second. When the chief priests and the Pharisees heard his parables, they perceived that he was speaking about them. They got it. Did we notice this? They understood. He's talking to me. Have you guys ever felt that way? Because I can almost guarantee you, if you've been somewhere with someone preaching the gospel, they don't have you in mind specifically when they're speaking, and yet the Spirit of God works in such a way that it seems like we're the only one there, and that that person is speaking directly to us. The Pharisees knew that same kind of a thing, and yet we have zero indication that their hearts were changed because of it. And I don't want that to be the case for you today. They saw that he was speaking about them, and yet they continued to harden their hearts and refused to submit to him. Now, realistically, if you want to get right down to it, if you are breathing right now, God is exercising patience in your life, isn't he? He is showing his kindness in patience to you right now. And if he's being patient to you, brothers and sisters, men and women, the, the invitation is still on the table. Do you understand what I mean? The invitation to the wedding feast, if you are breathing right now, that invitation is still available for you to respond to. Even if you've rejected it before, even if you've denied it in the past or forgotten about it or not acted upon it, God is patiently waiting for you today. And our prayer is that you respond in repentance and faith. Now, our section in Matthew 22 that we're not going to get to all of it today, but our section here is difficult. It's not necessarily difficult to interpret because it's a parable. It's not, not difficult in that way. It's difficult because it's, it's tough to apply. You guys understand what I mean when I say that? You know, we, when you, we read scripture, it's important to have information, background, context, all of those things, but if, if, if it never changes the way that you live, it's not accomplished its full purpose. So it's not difficult because it's hard to interpret. It's hard to apply. But everyone who rejects Jesus has a reason for doing so. Everybody who does. And today we're going to see some of those underlying motives, specifically one of why a person would reject Christ or what the motive is for somebody. So look at Matthew 22. Verse 15, we're going to read through verse 22 today. Then the Pharisees went and plotted how to entangle him in his words, and they sent their disciples to him, along with the Herodians, saying, Teacher, we know that you're true, and you teach the way of God truthfully, and you do not care about anyone's opinion, for you are not swayed by appearances. Tell us then what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, Why put me to the test, you hypocrites? Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to him, Whose likeness and inscription is this? They said, Caesar's. And he said to them, Therefore, render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard it, they marveled, and they left him and went away. So this section begins with a trap. Okay, see that? It begins with a trap. Uh, the same Pharisees who knowingly enjoyed the patience of God, right they knew he was speaking about them, they were enjoying the patience of God so recently in the past, were still trying to find a way to trip him up, trap him, cause him to be discredited, imprisoned. In the end, they wanted him dead. Those guys wanted this. But they didn't even go themselves. They sent their lackeys, their Pharisee wannabes, Pharisees in training, if you will, they sent them to mess Jesus up, to try to trip him up. But they didn't start with an outright treacherous trap, did they? No, they started with the opposite, flattery. Look at what they said. Look at the things that they said. Um, They said, we know you're true. We know that you teach the way of God truthfully. You don't care about people's opinions. You're not swayed by appearances. Guys, all of those things are dead on. That's Jesus. They knew it. They had it. They identified it. And it did not change their hearts. I How I pray that that is not us today. But look, all these things they said about Jesus are true. And praise God that they are. I mean, Aren't we thankful for this? Think about it. If all of these things, if, if, if this wasn't true of Jesus, we would have no foundation for truth today. We would have no foundation for truth in our topsy-turvy world today. If Jesus didn't, it wasn't true, then we couldn't believe the words that he gave us. But because he is, we can, right? So if Jesus was swayed by appearances, if he was swayed by what we look like, very few of us would have any hope of him ever loving us. I I mean, my wife fights with me about what I wear all the time. I don't even measure up to her standards. How am I going to measure up to God's standards? Praise God, he does not look at our appearances on what we wear. On, on the, the clothes that we wear, or the, the, the vehicles that we drive, or the homes that we have. Now, surely there are some people who have all those things. But Scripture teaches us that those people are some of the harder ones to receive Christ. Because of that very thing. If Jesus took those things into account before calling anyone to salvation, no one will be saved. But rest assured, Jesus doesn't look at appearances. He doesn't. He looks for lovers of truth. God is looking for lovers of truth. This is the very thing that Jesus said to the woman at the well. Those who would glorify me in spirit and in truth, to worship me in spirit and in truth. This is the kind of person that God is looking for. Not people who are all put together and, you know, tie and, you know, the nicest car and the put together, most put together house. Not that kind of people. He didn't come for the well. He came for the sick. He came for the people that really needed him, that recognized and acknowledged the need for him. Is that you? Is that me? Do we see our constant need for a savior? For redemption? I pray that we do. The, these Pharisees, they heard Jesus teaching and they were even amazed at it. But in 21 verse 32, We'll find out that even when they saw the truth, that they did not change their minds or believe. Because the reality is, they didn't really care about the truth. They cared about their perception of power. Jesus coming, teaching these things with authority, threatened their place in the culture. And they were upset. And they were scared. They thought that they could retain this semblance of power by entangling Jesus in his words and discrediting him. And so they brought up this issue of paying taxes, right? A very simple thing to most, but here's, here's the, uh, the background on this. Here's the Pharisees thinking. If Jesus said, well, yeah, go ahead and pay your taxes. Then they figured, well, we can turn the Jews against him because the Jews hated the Roman tax guys. They hated it. They despised it. Uh, they did not like being taxed by Rome and by Caesar. And they did, and they thought they could turn Jesus against his own people if he said, "Yeah, go ahead and pay your taxes." But on the flip side, here's the trap of it: if Jesus said, "No, you don't have to pay your taxes," well, then they could stick Rome on him, and he'd be in real big trouble—insubordination, for rebellion, all kinds of things—and the Roman government would be on him. And so they thought, "Ah, we got him." We got them. You know, they should have learned by now that uh, this was Jesus that they were talking to, and he doesn't play their games. Yeah. <laughs> and so he, he reveals their heart right off the bat. Guys, why do you ask me this kind of thing, you hypocrites? You know, we talk about Jesus being full of love, and he was. But, man, he had some harsh things to say about the hypocr- hypocrisy of the religious people in the day. Yeah. And he comes right out and says it, hypocrites. Give me a coin. So they give him a coin, and you can read in the, in the text, uh, Caesar's name is on it. And and so he says, yeah, pay your taxes. But paying your taxes doesn't necessarily indicate your ultimate allegiance, right? Because Jesus had no interest in coming and establishing this political kingdom that opposed Caesars in Rome. That wasn't his intent. So he said, go ahead, pay your taxes, obey the civil authorities because this is not your home. You are not a citizen of Rome. Brothers and sisters, you are not a citizen of the United States of America. You are a citizen of heaven. And that is where our ultimate allegiance lies. Now, we are to, it's clear here, we are to obey our civil authority. Pay your taxes. But this is not your home. Don't get so caught up in the things of this world that you forget who your king really is. So Jesus says, pay your taxes, guys. And he worked right out of this trap. And the Pharisees, they saw this. They marveled at what Jesus said. But again, there's no indication that these guys' hearts were truly changed. And so as we finish today, I want us to think through this question. If God is being patient to me, and you guys are asking yourself this question, if God is being patient to me today, how am I going to respond? What am I going to do? In reality of that, we've already said, if you're breathing, we believe that God is being patient with you. So if that's true, and you are, how are you going to respond to this patience today? Many of us respond in the ways that the Pharisees did. We see the truth, we acknowledge Jesus for what he really is, for who he really is, and yet we walk out the doors unchanged. pray that that's not you today because even if you've been saved and forgiven of your sin guys recognizing God's patience and redemption in your life is a constant daily thing that should cause us to fall down at the cross over and over in repentance in humility and in gratefulness and we celebrate this year Emmanuel God with us Guys, he's here. His patience is waiting, but it doesn't endure forever because the light is only here for a short time, John 12 says. It's only here. It only walks among us for a short time. So respond when you can. Respond now, today. If his patience is waiting, respond in repentance and faith. Don't dig your heels in. Don't reject Jesus. Be saved today. Let's pray together. Father, uh, it's clear, as we've said, that we have we, we have to submit to authority here on earth. Um, civil authority is something that you, you speak of in Romans. You give instruction to your people, and we are to obey them so far as, as they uh, teach us to obey you. Um, and yet, Lord, this is not our eternal home. Lord, help us not to be short-sighted. Help us to take on the long view of eternity, to look and see, Lord, there is unending joys found in Christ for all eternity not just the 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 temporary ones that we find here on earth, the temporary joy we find in receiving a gift or even giving a gift. Lord, those things are good, and yet they pale in comparison to the joy that we have in Jesus. So God, help us today, help me today to not respond to your patience in arrogance and pride, trying to retain this facade of power that we really don't have Lord, but instead we bow our hearts in submission to you, the Savior who is with us now. God, be with us. Send your Spirit among us today to respond in the way that you would have us. In Christ's name we pray, amen.